What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode 53 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stabman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay per view every single week. And we're right back in the Attitude Era. We have spent a lot of time in the years like 99, 2000, 2001 since we started the season two of the Two and a Half Marks podcast, and we're right back here again. Armageddon 1999 in the WWF, the last WWF pay-per-view of 1999. We're right smack dab in the middle of the Attitude Era. And boys, you know, for a show where it's commonly, like, right, it's, it's in the middle of what is commonly regarded as, like, a golden age of the WWF. Everything is, like, better back then. I was shocked at how much it sucked and how much I hated everything that happened. It was absolute dog shit, which is my favorite kind of show to watch for this uh, for this podcast. So really been looking forward to talking about this one. What's going on, boys? I Didn't I ask for Armageddon? Yeah, no, I literally said I hope we get an Armageddon. David, why did you pick this one? <laughs> why, did, why did your completely subjective and or, yeah, your completely subjective system of picking, why did you land on this one? Well, so, and I've said this many times on the show, and if you think that I'm lying and I haven't uh, said this before on the show, you should go back and listen to every single podcast we've ever done. Sponsored by uh, Anchor. Then Venmo me $150, and then go listen through them again, because I have said this a hundred, I've said this a couple times. My favorite wrestling feud of all time is Big Show, Big Boss Man, Big Boss Man steals Big Show's father's casket. So I, we had to talk about it. We had to finally get there. So that's why I, David Statman, personally chose this on my own. I'll be honest. I looked up whether that was a worker or a shoot, whether it, uh, Big Show's dad had died. No, Big Show's dad had died multiple years ahead of time. However, I am not putting it past Vince to work that into a angle. Could have been. But yeah, this... Uh, you know what? You can make an argument for the first eight matches. They were bad, but you know what? There's some entertainment value in the badness there. And then you get, uh, let's see here, roughly 45 minutes of crap at the end. And that's how we end this pay-per-view. Yeah, this is not a good one. No. Curse, as a matter of fact. You know, I, you know we, we threw that around a lot. But there are at least, I think, two moments in this show when I'm going to use the phrase or the word cursed to describe something. And I'm really going to mean it this time. Yeah. There is a specific match on the show where I felt very deep sadness watching it. Wait, hold on. Like what kind of sad, like sadness for something you love or sadness for the people involved? Both. (laughs) Both. I I know what match he's talking about, but Jake, I know the other match you're referring to. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was, it was just a, like I had to, I had to like once the match was over, I had to like pause my uh, my peacock window and just kind of stare off into the distance for like twenty minutes because I was so just I felt very emotionally bereft afterwards. I you know it it was it was not a good day. I actually it ruined my day watching the show. Had to give somebody a moment of silence. Yeah, I I just you know I had to kind of like 
stare wistfully off into the middle distance like I was a character in a Jane Austen novel. It sucked. I hated it. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of negativity around this show. We all hated it. It sucked. But we're going to talk about it because, I don't know, maybe like 15% of it was entertaining. So let's start it off. I mean, are you guys ready to remember some guys? Let's remember oh, some guys. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. So it is December 12th, 1999. We are at the National Car Rental Center in Sunrise, Florida. We've got 17,054 people in the building up. Sold-out house during the Attitude Era for WWF, Armageddon, 1999. And the place is bumping as we start off. Fans have all packed in to see the latest chapter of the McMahon family drama in the main event. It is Vince McMahon versus his son-in-law, Triple H, in a no-holds-barred match with a very interesting stipulation that we will get to later on. Uh, but the crowd is going crazy, you know, uh, all the signs everywhere. We've got King and JR on the call. Great attitude era ambiance to start out the show. And we start out with, we'll talk about remembered guys. We got a lot of guys in this first match. This is a 16-man, eight-team tag team battle royal to determine who will challenge for the WWF Tag Team Championships at the Royal Rumble the next month. The Dudley boys are the first team out. We get Bubba Ray Dudley cutting a promo. He was still kind of doing the stuttering gimmick at this time. Except for uh, one word. It was literally for one word. That, it's yeah. dumb. He did, the, he did the thou shalt not mess with the Dudleys. He wasn't totally doing the stuttering gimmick anymore, but he still, like, he didn't really do it anymore after this. Like, yeah. Uh, we have Edge and Christian there up next. They actually come out of the crowd and start brawling with the Dudleys before the other teams get in. Uh, and then the rundown of the rest of the group, we have the Headbangers. Uh, Mosh comes out wearing a bra under it, like a hairnet shirt. Or like, yeah. Um, we have the Hardy Boys, who are super over. Uh, very weird to see them coming out with Terry Runnels instead of Lita as their... Yeah. Female that sidekick. First cur cursed thing of the night. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I, I had this, I, I watched that and I was like, what, this isn't right here. This, this is a little, this is a little off. Jake, do we need a uh, curse counter for this pay per view? Well, we might. We have, I think these guys are actually making their debut on the podcast. One of my favorite groups of all time, the Mean Street Posse. <laughs> You'd be right. Uh, Pete Gass and Rodney representing the Mean Street Posse. They come out in their sweater vests. We have uh, JBL and Farouk, the Acolytes. We have Too Cool, who gets a really big pop. And last but not least, we get The Godfather and Sexual Chocolate Mark Henry. The Ho Train is here in Florida, and the crowd is going crazy for The Godfather. Um, so yeah, it's a battle royal, you know, it's your typical stuff. Once you've seen one battle royal, you've pretty much seen every battle royal. There is a little weirdness early on in this match because the rules are if one guy gets eliminated, then both guys are eliminated. So I toss out Bubba Ray Dudley. That means Devon's also going to have to leave even if he's still in the ring. He hasn't been eliminated, but he's got to go. And the Dudley boys are out, Dumb. just for example. Um, so very early on, there's like some confusion with that. 
the Mean Street Posse, they get eliminated, and then they do some like kind of dumb switcheroo, uh, even though, A, they don't actually look alike, and B, they're already eliminated, uh, but then they get, a, like, the other guy gets tossed out. Um, and then there's some confusion early where the headbangers get tossed out, they toss, they toss Mosh out, and the other one, Thrasher, is in the ring, and he's still continuing to, like, be in this match for, like, another minute or two before someone tells him, hey, you're actually out of the match, you need to leave. <laughs> and he's like, oh, shit, okay, I'm gone. Um, Mark Henry and the Godfather are tossed out. Too cool, it goes, uh, much to the outrage of uh, concerned father Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, Devon Dudley rolled to the outside, and he pulls Christian out to eliminate him. It's now down to uh, the Dudleys, the Acolytes, and the Hardys. The Dudleys uh, beat the shit out of Jeff Hardy for a little while. They hit an inverted 3D on Jeff, but then Matt sneaks up out of nowhere and tosses Devon over the top rope. So now it brings us down to the final two, the Acolytes and the Hardy Boys. Uh, we do a little bit of, you know, back and forth wrestling between two pretty good teams. Uh, Jeff hits a split leg and moonsault. They do a spot. It gets a little screwy at the end because I guess there was just one referee for this. Um which normally with Battle Royals, you see two or maybe even three referees just to kind of catch all the angles. But they're basically doing one where they have one referee and he's constantly out of position missing shit. So they do a spot where Matt, Hardy, and Farouk both go over and land basically at the same time. And the referee is out of position to see where their feet are. So no one really knows what to do. And so they just let Matt Hardy and Farouk go back into the ring and continue fighting. Then they do another match where or they knew they do another spot in this match where Jeff tosses Farouk over the top rope and he lands. He should be eliminated. But again, the ref is out of position and he doesn't see Farouk get eliminated. So Farouk just slides back in and the match keeps going. Matt hits a twist of fate. They do whisper in the wind on JBL. Then Jeff tries to uh, missile dropkick JBL out of the ring, but he lands on the apron. And then Farouk comes in, kills Jeff with a spine buster. Ron Simmons always had a great spine buster. And then he back body drops Jeff about 100 feet into the air, and Jeff flies over the top rope, and he lands two feet on the floor. They actually count this one. And the acolytes, JBL and Farouk, win the tag team battle royal 10 minutes and 54 seconds. Did you, the, the spot where he threw Jeff Hardy over, I thought he was going to do a Paul George from the USA scrimmage a couple Ooh. years ago. Ooh. You, you know what I'm talking Like, it looked like he landed with his foot, like, right in the, the crease of the floor in the barricade, and I was very concerned for him. Yeah. Thankfully, I don't think he did it. Has there ever been a more do-nothing battle royal, though? Like this was yes. just yeah. There's a, a lot of a lot of battle royals or do not like that's that's a very do nothing match honestly. Like where you all like there's a bunch of dudes in the ring. There's no space to really do much. So everyone just kind of punches and kicks each other for a while, and then you get thrown out. I don't know this, how they go. This one was especially bad. I will say, like the best part of the match is that springboard moonsault that Jeff hits. Like that looked really cool. But like I could have sworn they were more refs out there at the beginning of the match when they're trying to get everyone out. And then as it whittles down, it's like, okay, now we have one ref. Duh. And you get all these stupid chicanery spots. It was just, again, just real bad. 
Also, more like the Mean Street, mean street Jabronis, because, who boy, they are uh, some jabrones. But, yeah, this was bo- a boring start to the pay-per-view, and I kind of got a sense that with this being the starting point, it wasn't going to get much better. The Mean Street uh, Posse <laughs> is legit, like, one of my favorite gimmicks of all time. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, because, I don't know, it's, it's just sort of funny. Like, they were literally just dudes who were, like, yeah, they were Shane McMahon's buddies from home. <laughs> like, <laughs> he true. got them jobs in true. WWF. Like, none of, I don't think any of them were actually wrestlers. Like, again, they were just, like, his buddies from home. And he was like, hey, man, you want to be on TV? And they're like, yeah, so, like, we're the kind of, like, the rich, tough, like, we're the tough guys of Greenwich, Connecticut. But they're just, like, dudes wearing sweater vests who get their ass kicked all the time. I actually love that gimmick. I will say I'm envious of all the tag teams because if you look at the tag team division now on like Raw and SmackDown, it's just extremely barren. The only good tag team right now is RK Bro. Oh yeah, and that was literally put together a month ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, listen, battle royals are bad. A. B. Whenever you whenever you put like a bunch of teams in as the opening match of a pay per view, it just gets weirder. I just. This was so whatever. Uh, it was more like we, a battle seen, royal. Yeah, we're going to ignore that. Have we ever seen a uh, guy gets thrown out of a battle royal, but the ref doesn't see its spot? Because I feel like I've never seen that before. I don't think I have either. And that was really screwing with me because, like, that basically just shows you that the WWE, like, like the, like this match hinges on the WWF being incompetent at actually <laughs> sanctioning wrestling matches. You know what I mean? Like, right. Because every other time, like every other Battle Royal you've ever seen, they have more than one ref out there. Maybe they have one guy watching one side of the ring and one guy watching the other side of the ring, but a lot of times you see more than two refs. And then they just have one dude kind of sprinting circles around the ring this entire match, and it's just a joke. Like They make a joke out of it because people are getting eliminated and then coming back in because the referee doesn't see it. And it's like, you're just making everyone involved with your organization look like incompetent shitheads. Hire more and, referees, WWF. Hey, right here. Yeah. Listen, you want to you wanna, you wanna shoot a ref right here? Yep. You you wanna, wanna, I, I just, I, so sometimes I just roll with the boys, you know? We need, a, we need a shooter ref gimmick. The ref who does not take bumps. Dalton Jacobs. Yeah. We, like need a ref that, like we need a ref that's like like an Ed Hockley type ref. <laughs> <laughs> if Buff you're ref. looking for Ed Hockley, it's not me. I'm more like a, uh, I don't know. I don't even know who I'm built like. I'm more like an NBA ref. <laughs> like you're more of a Gene Sterator type yeah, of guy? Yeah, I'm more of a Gene Sterator. <laughs> we need more like referees with personalities. I'm going to say it right now. Like some of the, some of the guys in AEW, like like Bryce Remsburg and like Aubrey, like kind of have personalities a little bit. But like, I want a John Higgins type ref. <laughs> Who's purposely WWE. shitty? Like a guy who, or like a Cowboy Joe West style referee who sucks at his job, but he's an asshole about it. <laughs> or uh, get again. I know this was thrown around like a few years ago, but have Donahue come back and be a dub, like a wrestling official who takes bribes oh on the side. Put, no, Donny, that's, put Donahue that's literally, with the... That's literally an angle that they did in MLW this year. Was it really? <laughs> they literally brought in actual Tim Donaghy and had him taking bribes. No, they didn't. No, look it up. That actually happened. <laughs> no, they didn't. No, they literally did that. 
They literally did he that would this fit, year. He would fit right in with the Hardy family office, just saying. They literally Ooh. did that this year. Oh, my God. I didn't know Man, he was I'm out not, of jail. I'm not surprised that you guys missed that because, like, nobody watches MLW. Like, it barely exists. But they literally did that this year. Good. And Someone needed let me, to. Let me tell you, it was not as entertaining as you might think. No, I imagine it really kind wasn't. of being shitty because it's Tim Donaghy, like. Yeah, and I think the angle, if I remember correctly, involved Savio Vega in 2021. <laughs> 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 Listen, big Savio Vega guy, but like, did this happen on, in man. 2001 or like in 2001 WCW or what? Savio Vega was out of the WWF in 2001. <laughs> like he had a full career and then been released by that point. <laughs> yeah. No, they did that shit. It happened. It actually is real thing that happened. So, next up, we have squeaky clean young Olympian Kurt Angle. He's backstage. He's cutting a promo in his next match. He is undefeated at this point, but he is a little perturbed about the kind of, quote, funny response that he is getting from the fans. But he is sure that the fans here in Florida will appreciate a true American hero, an Olympic gold medalist. So Kurt Angle, he is in the next match. Again, this is a, a baby Kurt. He still has hair. Uh, he gets into the ring. He wants to talk about his three eyes, but he gets interrupted by his opponent, the lethal weapon Steve Blackman, who sprints out. He attacks him right away. This is a match that technically is fine, has zero heat, in fact, you have the crowd actually chanting boring pretty early on into this match. Uh, Blackman goes for a dive early and misses. Angle takes over for a while. Uh, he goes for a moonsault, but Blackman gets out of the way. I heard Angle, low-key, terrific moonsault. Like, one of my favorite moonsaults of all time is the Kurt Angle moonsault. Uh, he goes for one. This time, he misses uh, Blackman puts him in some cool holds for a while. Uh, Angle gets a little comeback where he hits a DDT and a butterfly suplex. Um, Blackman hits a spine buster, sidewalk slam, goes up for a Vader bomb, but Angle gets the knees up. And then Kurt Angle hits a bridging German suplex to win the match. Six minutes and 56 seconds. And afterwards, Steve Blackman gets the only semi-pop of this entire segment by uh, taking out his nunchucks and attacking Kurt Angle with them. So who was, okay, who was supposed to be the face and the heel here? I think Blackman's the face and Angle's the heel. Yeah, Blackman was the face, for sure. But yeah, Blackman I couldn't tell you. Blackman was pretty much always a face. But like, I don't know, like, the face is beating down a guy after the match? I mean, I think one of the things about being a baby face is, like, you can do shit like that, if it's to a heel, you know what I mean? Like, because you're going to you're gonna get cheered for it because you're beating up the heel and, like, the fans are supposed to want to see the heel beaten up. Like, it may not be the most, like, white meat babyface thing to do, but, like, if you're doing it to a heel, it's generally okay. I don't know. It feels awfully beta to do that to a guy that just beat you clean off of a back suplex. Uh, German, German suplex, suplex, not a back suplex. They're two different types Either of suplexes. Either way, I, I have German in my notes, so I do have it right in my notes, as you can all see. Uh, no, but, yes. like, come on. you lost... hold, your, hold your notes up to the camera, Angelo. I will. That makes some rustling noises. Uh, 
<laughs> but the German suplex, like, bridge pin, like, you're going to get beat by that and then beat the guy down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, That makes sense. That feels like a cop-out. Overall, though, like, David, like you said, this is a very solid tactical match. I enjoyed it. I was actually really angry when the crowd started chanting boring. Yeah, yeah. Is it, like, the most exciting match? Is it going to, set like, burn down the bar? No. There but was like, a moonsault. There was a moonsault. It, it's entertaining. It's good. Yeah. Like, Blackman surprised me with the amount of moves that he was able to do. He had a lot of different submissions. No heat whatsoever. Like, you could get a frozen chicken out of the freezer, and that's got more heat than Steve Blackman. There's also Ooh, frozen yeah. chicken heat. <laughs> there was also a Cordell Stewart reference uh, that Yo, King made. There was a Cordell Stewart King, reference. King spent the whole match shitting on the Steelers and Cordell Stewart. <laughs> what? So, like, this was not a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. This is actually, if you look down the rest of these cards, maybe second or third best match. Uh, yeah, honestly. And then, I would say this is probably the third best match. That's probably. fair. And the, the third best match has a boring chant. Yeah. Ridiculous. I, know. I, I mean, yeah, this is technically a good match. It's perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, like, I wasn't exactly on the edge of my seat like, oh, yeah, this is this is, this is is great. You know there were no I mean? stakes. It's not that there was no stakes. It's just like... I didn't feel the energy in the match. You yeah. Know? And that's kind mm-hmm. of like a, you know, kind of a, a hard to quantify type of thing. But I just didn't really feel a lot of energy in it. And it was like two guys, they're out there, they're having a, they're, they're kind of doing everything right. But I'm just not really into it. I'm just kind of not feeling the energy from this match. It's like, whatever, you know. It's like that moment in SpongeBob where he's like, nah, I don't feel like it. I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it, man. I wasn't feeling the gusto from Steve Blackman. And now Steve Blackman, a guy that like a lot of people remember fondly because he was cool and had like a cool gimmick and people like nunchucks, but like a guy who really had no charisma at all, like just very much a dude that had like basically zero presence, but was a good worker and like had a kind of a cool, you know, people like people doing nunchucks like nunchucks are cool i also I feel like, i could do nunchucks i also feel like his look kind of played into that because he's just a guy there's no tattoos on him first and then like he's just wearing black sweatpants and sneakers <laughs> are you what's saying the, that what's the issue some, are you saying he needed some tattoos <laughs> look i'm just saying like if you're gonna be a professional wrestler you need some flair and style about you that steve blackman clearly minoru suzuki has has worn the same stuff for 25 years. Look at yeah. his hair. His hair okay, is his like, <laughs> Okay, what about like uh, someone like Shibata who had like, just wore black trunks and just looked like a guy? Can't tell you because I don't know much about Shibata, so. I mean like, half of like, Kenta Kobashi literally just wore regular <laughs> trunks and was like a guy. <laughs> you know? But those are trunks, like those are wrestling trunks. Those aren't sweatpants. Okay, you can be over wearing sweatpants. I was gonna say, I Mankind think Mankind was wrestling in sweatpants, and this, this but he also I, had the shirt and the tie and the mask. I, I think a, I think sweatpants are more original than trunks. But I don't know. I I, I think that the look could use some work. I think that we should normalize being comfy while you're wrestling. Okay. If okay. I'm gonna get in there, I'm gonna fight another man, and I'm gonna take bumps. I'm gonna get hit with stuff. I'm gonna get attacked with nunchucks. I wanna. I. I damn well better be comfy. 
I'm just saying it might be auspicious that you're wearing baggy pants. I it, it I damn well better be comfy for this shit. If I gotta do a job to a jabroni mark like Kurt Angle, freaking dork, milk drinking asshole. Definitely going nowhere, guy. Sweatpants, brother. Come on. So we go backstage. Michael Cole is horny. <laughs> oh, you mean God. Mitchell Cole? No, it wasn't. Was it? No, no, no. It is Michael Cole, but uh, Val v- No, not Val Venus. Who Chris Jericho it? calls him Mitchell yeah. as gag later on. I okay. mention it when it happens, but now it's oh, it's been spoiled. This gag that Chris Jericho did 22 years ago has been spoiled now. Thank you, Angela. You're welcome. Uh, golf legend Greg Norman is here in the building, and he's getting a treat next up. It is a evening gown pool match. And we've had a couple, one or two evening gown matches from the Attitude Era on this show. This is the first ever evening gown pool match. For the WWF women's title, we have the special referees at ringside, or at poolside, rather. We have the beloved old Mae Young and just vile sexual predator and sex trafficker, the fabulous Moolah. At this time in 1999, people didn't realize yet how awful she was. But now you can look on the internet and just find that, like, very easily find out all the details of why she is roasting in the seventh circle of hell. Have they done a dark uh, a dark side of the ring with her yet? They could. They could do probably a hell of a dark side. Well, I think the problem is, like... There's too much? It was so lo- no, it was so long ago that, like, a lot of the people who would have had any firsthand knowledge of it are dead. Mm-hmm. Like, Moolah's dead, and, like... Pretty I'm much all this came out after she died. Yeah, like, and, like, you know, I think basically all the other wrestlers from around that time who would have, like, known anything firsthand are probably dead as well. So, that could be, like, you could... It's definitely the kind of subject matter where you could have a hell of a dark side of the ring on, but it might be, like, a Dave Meltzer-heavy, like, type <laughs> episode of that. <laughs> like and I'm not sure that- how much... How much everyone would love that. Yeah, it's going to be reporter heavy. It's just the guy, people that were reporting on the things that were happening. Yeah. As opposed to like a Brian Pillman type episode where it's like you have all these people who knew Brian Pillman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it is a four-way match. We have the champion Ivory, who was it, last week we had her when she was a member of Right to Censor. This is pre-Right to Censor. She is defending against uh, Miss Kitty. A woman named BB, who I have no memory of whatsoever, and uh, Jacqueline, who is another mainstay of this era of WWF women's wrestling. Um, This is very, like, it's technically, it's like called a match, but it's very explicitly not a wrestling match. Like, there's no wrestling going on. It's these four women all, like, in their evening gowns, and they're just kind of splashing each other in the pool. And, like, dunking each other in the water. Um, very, like, Jacqueline gets eliminated first. She Like, the rules are you have to, you know, it's a four-way match. The last woman who is able to avoid getting her dress ripped off is the winner. And she wins the title. Um, so, Jacqueline is eliminated first. Uh, much to the delight of the guy next to the pool wearing a Zach Thomas Dolphins jersey. Oh, I didn't see that. That's good. He he popped up at that point. Uh, Then we get BB out. Uh, There is a spot where Ivory is trying to rip uh, BB's bra off. 
But then Kitty is able to, like, grab her off of this and, like, slam her into the pool. To a round of booze from fans who really wanted to see Phoebe's bra get ripped off. And then they struggle for a little bit. And then Miss Kitty rips Ivory's dress off. And Miss Kitty wins the match and becomes the new WWF Women's Champion in 2 minutes and 45 seconds. Afterwards, because the the post-match was much more notable than the actual match itself, quote-unquote match itself. So Miss Kitty gets the mic, and she says, I know you all want to see me get naked. So she then takes off her dress, she jumps into the pool, and then she gets back up, and then she takes her bra off and just exposes her titties to the world. It's a huge applause, but you only, like, her titties are out for, like, a frame, and then, of all people, Sergeant Slaughter materializes out of thin air and just instantly covers her with a towel and they kind of bundle her off and then afterwards may young who's like 80 80 or 85 years old she then like she's trying to say something into the mic but she you doesn't can't really hear understand. a word she doesn't understand how like actually to speak into a microphone uh, you can't really tell what she's saying and then she tries to rip her dress off and then Sergeant Slaughter, like, does the same thing where he, like, covers her in a towel and then, like, bundles her off. But, like, the funniest thing on the show was, like, Miss Kitty exposes her breasts and then here's Sergeant Slaughter just teleporting into just, like, <laughs> anchor off screen. It was so funny. Listen, I cannot express in words how dumb this was. It makes me think, like, like, um... Was it, it was Miss Kitty that, that stripped, right? Yes. yes. Like, do we think she suggested that, agreed to it, was forced to agree to it? Like, the way know. The way Meltzer writes about this, sort of, and I, I don't know if he had all the deets at this point, seems to imply that she kind of did it on her own. Oh. Like, she sort of went, she went rogue. Miss Kitty went rogue. So, maybe, I mean, it, maybe that's what they want them to think. Maybe that's yeah. like what they want people to think. But right. when he was writing it at the time, it's sort of how he was framing it, like like it, what he thought happened. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, maybe. a little bit of both. Like where it's like, hey, you know what would be funny? And nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And she's like, oh, okay. Or even, if, even not, I don't know. At the same time, if she wasn't, if she like was literally just doing that on her own and was like, everyone was surprised by it then why is Sergeant Slaughter literally one foot, like, out of frame with a towel ready to pounce on her the second she does it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's also true. Like, that's that's very suspect that homie was like, I better be here with this towel. And then, yeah. like, and then like, like Mae Young then started to do it. Like, do we think she came up with that on her own? I don't know. The whole reason I ask this is, like, they were booked into this match. They probably didn't have much say about being in the match itself, and I hate it. This was like, this was legitimately dangerous. Like they could have just like held each other under the water until the bubbles stopped. Like, yeah, this was... no, there's, there's literally one spot where like I don't remember who they were, but someone's like basically like doing that and like, yeah. like drowning somebody. <laughs> they're and they're you're just like, like they're they're doing like the Sopranos thing where it's just like holding their head under the water <laughs> until they get the information they want. It's yeah, like, <laughs> like that's literally what someone. I don't again. I don't remember who it was, but I was like. They better be careful. This girl's going to get drowned on live TV, and her just, her lifeless body's going to float to the surface of the pool. <laughs> like, 
this is in that realm of just something that is so tragic you can't help but laugh at. Because I'm watching this entire segment in disbelief that this existed at any point. It's just so yeah. out of left field. Like the match itself, evening gown pool match for the WWF Women's Championship with the fabulous Mula and Mae Young as special guest referees on Wikipedia. What? What is that? <laughs> what is this? This is a championship match? Oh my gosh. Uh, just Oh yeah, that, that, that's like it's a champ. Like it's for the title. Just literally, my last note is just what the fuck, man. This got okayed by Peacock. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Oh, that's also true. Like this didn't get scrubbed. They they censored ass on the last pay per view, but they allow this smut on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, no, and like that is like the WWE Women's Championship, which has a lineage that dates back like sixty years. And, like, you know, has has sort of a checkered history at points. But, like, you know, that's, that's you know, it's one of, like, the longest, at, like, active, like, like, lineages of a championship. Yeah. And, like, yeah, along the way, it's like, yeah, this was contested in a fatal four-way evening gown match. <laughs> like, I'm swimming, actually... Swimming pool evening gown match. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, like, and then, uh, uh, Miss Kitty... Uh, future ex-wife of Jerry the King Lawler would then end up losing the title on uh, an episode of Raw in late January of 2000 in a Lumberjill Snow Bunny match. <laughs> yeah, that sounds on brand. To, um, uh, like a gimmick that they were doing where it was like Harvey Whippleman dressed like a woman. Oh, Santina so. Marella. The prototype. Yeah, it, was, it, was like a, it was like a less entertaining Oh, yes, yes, Marella. yes. Yeah. That's that's that. that's that's what we were doing. It's great, and you love to see it. Uh, but yeah, so Miss Kitty is the WWF Women's Champion. She is the last survivor of the Evening Gown Pool Match. So next up, tag match. It is the Hollies Crash and Hardcore Holly. They are taking on a pair of big old boys, Rikishi and Viscera. Ooh. So we get Cursed. a yes. This is a hell of a fucking team right here. <laughs> we get a uh, Rikishi promo before the match. He says that he he's basically doing this match on behalf of all the fat, healthy people in the world. That's a direct quote. And he then promises to stick his ass in Crash Holly's face. And boy, does he! Because like the first thing he does in this match, it's Rikishi starting with Crash Holly and. The first thing he does is he squashes Crash Holly with his ass. Most of the offense, it's a short match, not that much of a match really, but most of the offense that Rikishi gets is ass based. And, uh, you know, and then we get Viscera comes in. Well, Rikishi tries to tag in Viscera, and then Viscera, who's like a spooky guy at this point, I think he was not far removed. He got the Viscera gimmick when he was in the Ministry of Darkness. And he was still sort of a spoopy type of fellow. Uh, big, big leather-clad dude. Viscera sort of ominously stares at him when Rikishi tries to tag him in. And then Rikishi just, like, slaps him on the chest to get him into the ring. Viscera kind of just tosses everyone for a round for a while. Viscera, not a guy who many people had held in high esteem as a worker, but some of his slams and his suplexes in this match actually looked pretty good. Like, I was pleasantly surprised by him. 
He misses a splash. Holly's come back, gets some offense. Hardcore Holly hits a missile drop kick at one point. Viscera comes back, kills Crash Holly with a leg drop. Rikishi gets back in there. He hits a really, really bad-looking pop-up cutter on Crash, where Crash like didn't get into the air at all. Cra- uh, Hardcore Holly hits a DDT on him, but Rikishi no-sells it because, you know, Samoan heads. Uh, one of my favorite things in uh, wrestling, like logic, is that you can't like injure a Samoan by dropping them on their head. Rikishi hits a pile driver on Crash Holly, but then Viscera accidentally takes Rikishi out with a spinning kick, and Hardcore Holly swoops in and he gets the pin. The Hollies win the match, four minutes and twenty three seconds, and afterwards the big boys stare each other down. Angelo, yes. Did you care? I was entertained, but like that doesn't oh. mean it was a no. Look, listen. Were you entertained? I wasn't entertained. I thought. Look, the cost. Look, I mark out for Crash Holly. I actually like Rikishi. You can like those guys and admit that this was horrible. No, it was. Uh, look, I'm not going to say it's a good match. It wasn't. It clearly wasn't. There were some spots I enjoyed, but again, this is a awful pay per view. Excuse me for liking. Oh, we have two big boys and Crash Holly who thinks he's a big boy. There's something, like, funny about that to me. I'm watching this from a comedy standpoint. I'm not watching it from a worked match standpoint. There's no storyline, really, outside of, like, you know, the dissension between Rikishi and Viscera. But, hey, like, I'm here because it's funny to see little Crash Holly and then you have two big dudes just throwing people around. That's it for me. Okay? I'm going to make a comparison here. And it's not a one-to-one comparison, but when I think about kind of who he was and what his gimmick was like, this is who I think of. Crash Holly was kind of the John Silver of his day. Ooh. Ooh, okay. I don't think that's far off. But, like, John Silver, because of the internet, is now able to get way more <laughs> over than Crash Holly ever was. I need John Silver. Which is to, a shame. I need John Silver to bring it, back the scale gimmick. He's got to bring back the scale gimmick. I just think that, like, if Crash Holly had been around in the internet era, he would have ended up being a lot more over. Yeah. Actually, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Also, R.I.P. R.I.P. Crash. Who else? Hold on. Who else would have been? I think, like, I'm trying to think, like, who in the Attitude Era would have been way more over if the internet existed? Probably, I think Steve Blackman would get over in, like, a Cesaro kind of way. Oh, yeah. I could see it a little. I, I, I think he's got, I don't know. I could definitely see that a little you bit. Know, you know who I, oh, wait, I just lost that. Man, I had a good joke and I just lost it. God damn it, I Jake. think... If I'm, I'm just looking at guys on this card. Maybe Dilo was over. We'll get oh. to Dilo. Dilo was oh, over yeah. then. The but Dilo would be super would over. For the internet would go insane. That's that's actually a much better example than the one yes. I picked. The, the, the people would go nuts for Dilo. Wait, like, no, you, you, you know who doesn't get over at all? Like, if the internet's around, even at this time? Jeff Jarrett? No. Val Venus doesn't even get off the ground. I don't know. Listen, he is my man is canceled before he gets out of bed in the morning. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Fair enough. I mean, we're just saying though, like, we're not necessarily over. We don't necessarily have like the twenty twenty one social attitudes yet. In that case in that case, if we're going off of two thousand and one morals or two thousand two thousand one morals, yeah, yeah, Val Venus gets over. Because while it was a dumb gimmick Val Venus played that role very well. 
Like he when like, he started, did you talk about when he was speaking Spanish to uh, Lillian? No, I, I'm gonna get to that. <laughs> but like, it's like every time that guy is actually like on screen talking, he's like great, you know? <laughs> like he's just like really perfect for that role somehow. Uh, but yeah, I think I think D'Lo is the perfect example of a guy, and maybe we're just saying this because we're in 2021 <laughs> and we're in the internet all the time, and we all think that D'Lo was cool as shit. But I. No, I think that the crowd, I think that like the internet wrestling community would have lost their shit for D-Lo yeah. all the time. Hey, that's actually a great segue, David. You're welcome. Yes. Speaking of, got a couple of these guys we were just talking about in this next match. So it is a triple threat match for the European Championship. It is the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, of course, one of yours truly's favorite wrestlers of all time. He is defending the title against the aforementioned D'Lo Brown and the big Valbowski, Val Venus. We get a promo beforehand, a Val promo. He says that when he wins the European title, he's going to show the women of Europe that he is both the Eiffel Tower and Big Ben all rolled into one, (laughs) which is a great line. And then... He then hits on Lillian Garcia and starts like kind of speaking Spanish to her, and you're like, "Hell yeah, Val!" <laughs> and then she's boy. like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. And then, and then they, and then like, they like they walk off together, and then the match starts and she's not there. So like, <laughs> I don't know what they were doing for like 15 seconds, but there wasn't really a whole lot of time oh, for him to you put You know moves what on. they were doing for 15 seconds? There wasn't really a whole lot of time for Val to put moves on because he then had to immediately <laughs> go out to the ring. <laughs> Um, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so, um, D'Lo, of course, struts out being all goddamn cool. Does his the head wobble? Which, <laughs> like no one, there's not a single other person who can replicate doing the head wobble the way that D'Lo did it. I don't know how he did it, but no one can do it the same way that he did it. Um, for some reason, at the beginning of this match, the Mean Street Posse come out to try and get involved and start shit. And referee Theodore Long tells those boys to get lost, get the hell out of here. So uh, this is a match that, you know, I love British Bulldog again. Davy Boy Smith, one of my like top, top favorite wrestlers of all time. I like Val Venus a lot. He was a fun character and I think an underappreciated worker. And I love D'Lo Brown because D'Lo Brown was goddamn cool. But this is a match that just does not flow at all. Doesn't feel like any of these guys are really on the same page. And we can get into maybe why this was the case. Uh, Bulldog was half dead and like was awful in this match. I mean, this was like the worst performance I've ever seen out of the British Bulldog. Um, we have uh, a bunch of like moves that get messed up early on. Uh, D'Lo tried to do some kind of springboard move to Val Venus. I couldn't exactly tell what he was trying to do, but he like slips on the middle rope and kind of like lands and just it looks like shit. They then do a at one point do a uh, Val Venus and D'Lo try to team up to do a double hip toss on the British Bulldog, and he just does not rotate at all in the air. And, like, comes down directly on his shoulder. It looks really, actually really bad. Bulldog is just completely lost in space in this match. He has long stretches where he just, like, stands there and looks confused. 
while Val Venus really carries what kind of, you know, what we get in this match, uh, D'Lo hits a sunset flip powerbomb out of the corner, but Bulldog pulls Teddy Long out of the ring. Val hits a really bad-looking spinebuster on the Bulldog. Bulldog comes back with his power slam, but then D'Lo from the outside puts Val Venus's leg on the bottom rope. Uh, D'Lo hits Bulldog with a spinebuster. It's the finish of the match. Hits him with the spinebuster. Gets up. Hits his low-down frog splash. But then Val Venus cr- uh, climbs up to an adjacent turnbuckle. Hits both of them with his finishing move, the money shot, which is just a big splash. A fantastic name for a finishing move, by the way, the money shot. And he hits both of them with it. And uh, D'Lo kind of gets knocked out of the ring. And Val steals the pin on British Bulldog. Val Venus wins the match and becomes the European champion, 8 minutes and 20 seconds. And I'm sure him and Lillian Garcia uh, in kayfabe celebrated that night. Yeah, unfortunately, this is another match where it's in the same vein, I guess, as like the Hollies versus the two big boys. Just not a lot going on. It doesn't all look good. It's it's different, though, because at least in the in the Hollies versus the big boys match, it wasn't like a very good match or entertaining. But like the stuff that they did, they kind of they basically did properly. You know what I mean? Like they did what they were kind of setting out to do. It just wasn't a good match. Like, ha- like almost every kind of like spot in this match gets messed up, and it just looks horrible. Yeah, there's nothing a lot to point to uh, other than the finish. I'm a sucker for big aerial move and then hitting another big aerial move on top of it to break up the pin and get the win. That's one of my favorite finishes in like all of wrestling. So yeah. you know, I'll always like that. But again, it was sad to see this the state of the British Bulldog. D'Lo can't save it. Even though I was entertained by Val Venus in his promo, he can't save it. It's just, you know, it's a sad match. Yeah. It's, yeah, is, especially with that, with David's, you know, one of David's favorite guys from In Your House Seasons Beatings. Yes. Uh, highly recommended match that I just watched the other day. Davey Boy Smith, Bret Hart, In Your House 5 Seasons Beatings from December 95. A banger. A banger. And Davey Boy is terrific in it. But yeah, this is... Four years later, and you go from, you know, the Davy Boy who, you know, was never really quite the same worker after he, like, kind of really started getting a push in WWF and, like, juiced himself up really heavy. He was kind of never really the same guy as he was, but was still a very good worker. And then the guy that you have here who is just, like, he can't do anything. Like, he's just completely lost. And it's very depressing. Yeah, and, and I mean, I mean, you said he was dead. What two years after this? Yes, he dies about two years after this. I mean, and the story with it is, um, he wrestled in WWF until like I think 1997. He goes to WCW, and in '98, he he messes up his back really badly. And it, what happened was they were doing some angle with the Ultimate Warrior, where the Warrior was going to like come through the ring through a trap door. But then during a match before that spot, uh, Davy Boy got like bumped onto this trapdoor at like the wrong angle and it messed up his back really badly. And afterwards, like he basically became addicted to painkillers after this and like just very quickly, completely physically fell apart. 
And like I, I was I was doing some research before. And yeah, like so this match is in December of ninety nine. The next month, Vince McMahon paid for him to go to drug rehab because he was addicted to morphine. And then he passed away two years later. So this is like the end stage. This is actually probably I'll, I'll look it up, but this is had to have been one of Davy Boy's like last ever matches. Period. I forgot that these matches even happened. His ones in like '99, and and I don't uh, I don't think he went into 2000. But this is yeah. He wrestled into early 2000. Yeah, this is his. Uh, he had 15 more matches after this in his career, and that was it. Hmm. So that was that was all. He like had like about a dozen more with the WWF and then in 2002 not that long before he died he actually came back and wrestled a couple of matches uh where he like they were like independent shows in Canada because he wanted to team with uh his son David now who's now wrestles as Davy Boy Smith Jr. He was like starting his career and they did a couple like one-off indie show matches where he like wrestled with his son and then, like, like died, like, very shortly after. Mm. Tragic, tragic story. Rests. Tragic story. That's, this is what I was saying when I, when I hinted that something made me very deeply, like, emotionally sad. Yeah. Watching this. It was this. I knew what you were talking about, but the women's match also made me feel sad just for a lot of other things. At least I got a chuckle out of some of the stuff. Like, I got a chuckle out of Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter materializing with the town. <laughs> And I got a chuckle out of May Young, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because May Young was always entertaining. You know, you got to give May Young a lot of, you got to give a lot of love to May Young. But this shit, this was just very dark and was a very, very bad time. It was a very bad time for me as a, as a big Davy Boy Smith fan. So next up, we have a steel cage match. It is Kane versus X-Pac. And before uh, the match, we get an X-Pac promo where he reveals that there are some different stipulations in this cage match. He reveals that Kane cannot win by escaping the cage. The door is actually going to be padlocked, uh, which, in my opinion, it should always be for cage matches. I hate that people just walk out the door. I hate that shit. You should have to climb out over the top of the cage and climb down. Why do they? Why do they even install the door on the cage? I don't know. What's the point of the cage if you can walk out the freaking door? I've never understood that. I've never understood that. I just realized it's for entrances, but at the same time, no. Have them climb over the cage. No, I mean like they they walk in through the cage door, and then you padlock it, and then it doesn't open again. You have to climb out of the cage. That's how you do it. That's how these. I, that's if, if I'm booking a cage match, that's how I'm doing. I don't like door shit. I digress. The mini game in SmackDown versus Raw was awful too. Yes, it was terrible. It was much easier to just climb out over the cage. Much more entertaining uh, too. Yes, it, it looks cooler. But anyway, uh, Kane cannot win by escape. He can only win by pinfall or submission. While X Pac can win by pinfall, submission, or by escaping the cage. Remember that? Because that's actually going to factor this in later. I thought the ending of this match was actually kind of neat. Um, he also, uh, X-Pac, pulls the old, uh, quote, like, tell your girl to stop calling me. <laughs> to which I was like, Kane had a girl? No, it was his mom. 
Tell, tell your mom to stop calling me. I thought he said, tell your girl to stop calling me. I thought it was Because he was referring to Tori. Because he then starts hitting on Tori during the match. That too. I don't know. Yeah. I not, think not I'm a right great, and you're wrong. Not a great right promo either way. Not a great promo. Kind of a lame burn. But he said, like, tell your girl to stop calling me. And I was like, yo, was Kane getting some in WWF at this time? The answer was yes. He was coming out with uh, a person we talked about last week, Tori. Who, according to JR, was like... In kayfabe, Kane's first ever girlfriend. And uh, early on, like, X-Pac comes in. As he comes in, he, like, is harassing Tori. And then, like, Kane climbs out over the cage and attacks him. Uh, X-Pac cranks him with the ring bell. And then they both climb into the cage. The commentary for this match is super distracting because... It's your it's it's a typical cage match. It's not bad. It's not great. It's okay, but for some reason the whole time, uh, like Jerry the King Lawler is making really shitty dick jokes the whole time, and then uh, at one point like Jr. scolds him and says the word penis, <laughs> and then I have the direct King quote if you starts, want it. King just starts crying, laughing, and he says, "Jr., you said penis." <laughs> <laughs> get away from the penis innuendos <laughs> yeah um it was just i i actually laughed at that line from from king like him just earnestly laughing at jr saying penis i thought was funny but um yeah it's a cage match again x-pac can win by escape but kane can't kane has to win by pinfall or submission uh early on x-pac tries to climb out he crotches kane on the top rope he slams him in the cage a bunch of times he then uh, comes off the top rope with a diving leg drop, and he tries to get the pin, but Kane kicks out. Uh, Kane comes back, uh, hits a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. As he starts to establish some control over the match, X-Pac's buddies from DX, the New Age Outlaws, run out with a set of bolt cutters. Uh, they take the bolt cutters to the chain on the door. It takes them kind of an embarrassingly long time to break the chain. Eventually, they do. Um, and... Uh, Billy Gunn just rifles the cage door into Kane's head. <laughs> they toss a chair into the ring. X-Pac hits Kane with the X-Factor onto the chair. He also gets a pair of handcuffs. He handcuffs Kane to the uh, middle rope, hits him in the head with the chair a couple of times. He then starts climbing the cage, and Kane's girl, Tori, actually runs in and makes the save. She pulls X-Pac off of the cage, X-Pac responds by hitting the shit out of her with an X-Factor, which is a thing. Like, you can tell that X-Pac, like, this is the era where the term X-Pac heat comes from because he was so not over for whatever reason. I always I always personally liked X-Pac, but the guy was just super not over around this time. Where like, And, and you can tell by... A male wrestler committing an act of violence against women during the Attitude Era and not getting a pop for it, that was rare. <laughs> like, genuinely rare. I, I yeah. mean, like, the crowd always went crazy for when the male wrestlers would hit their finishing moves on on the women. X-Pac hits Tori with an X-Factor, and the crowd does not react for it. That's how not over he was. It's kind of crazy. Kane ends up breaking the handcuffs, basically rips them off the cage. He ends up, this is as X-Pac is like climbing over the cage. I actually thought, again, this is the finish. I actually thought it was kind of neat. So 
Kane can't win by escape, but that doesn't mean he can't leave the cage. So X-Pac is climbing over the cage. He's climbing down the outside, but Kane leaves through the cage door, which the New Age outlaw had bolt-cuttered open, and catches X-Pac on his shoulders as he tries to drop onto the floor, and then carries him back over through the cage door and tosses him back into the ring, smashes him in the head with the cage door, then Kane climbs all the way up to the top of the cage, does a diving clothesline off the top of the cage, hits X-Pac with the tombstone pile driver, and Kane gets the pin in 8 minutes and 12 seconds. In Again, I, I thought the last couple minutes were pretty cool. Liked the dive off the top rope from such a big guy, or off the top of the cage from such a big guy. You didn't really see Kane do stuff like that very often. And... My last couple of minutes of this match, I really liked. This was one of the better things on the show. I mean, I, I, the finisher I thought was really good. I could take or leave the first six minutes. I thought it was creative to have like Kane rush out of the cage to stop X Pac from you know landing on the floor. The thing I like again, it comes back to X Pac. X Pac. Uh, it, it it's no wonder why he had no heat. The guy's booked and his character is just, just this obnoxiously stupid guy, but not in like obnoxious in a cool way or dumb in an endearing way. He's the worst version of both. Like you have the guy handcuffed to the cage already. You've hit him with the chair a few times. Just get out. Leave. You don't need to keep hitting him over the head. Just run. And then like again, he hits the move on Tori. He's just being super obnoxious, and it makes me want to see Kane, you know, kick his ass. It was really cool to see that top of the cage clothesline. That was a really cool move. But, yeah, like, Xbox sucks here. He can work. He's a great worker, but he sucks. David, are you going to let him say those things about Xbox? I eh, I don't care enough to fight on it, honestly. <laughs> you know what? You got to pick your battle sometimes, and, and that's I not going to be I it. I don't think that this is one I'm going to pick. I'm, I'm, I don't think this is a battle I'm going to fight tonight. I, I don't disagree with David. Like X Pac is one of the best workers of this time and in that like entire period, but the character work is awful. It's a bad yeah. character. That is the one thing. X Pac was not a. I, I like X Pac a lot as a worker. I thought he was very good. But as a character and as a as a promo, he was never really good. And as a character, he just was kind of a douchebag. You know? Yeah. Like his gimmick was that he was kind of a douchebag. And it's like, all right, well, I don't really like you. So Ironically, that would also be my gimmick if I was ever a wrestler. But, yeah. I, but I wouldn't be able to put on great matches despite that character. So He was the precursor to being an edgelord. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know about that. Edgelord. Yeah, no. I, I would just call him a douche. That. Yeah, he's a douche. I mean, I think it's pretty, he's pretty clear cut. Just a douche. He's a he's a Jake Long, except without the sexism. Wait, hold on. No, like Jake Long doesn't have the sexism. Jake Long doesn't have the sexism. It's me without the sexism, not him. Oh, you, you heard it here first. Folks. You heard it here first. Jake Long hates women. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Great job, bud. We're leaving that in, by the way. That's, that's staying on the record. Jake Long, Jake Long vehemently uh, despises sexism and will not stand for it. It was X Pac with the sexism. 
Angelo. This is this go. is going to come back and haunt you. This is, <laughs> this is you're going to lose your job because of this. this when do I get clip. canceled? I'm going to say gonna remove, someone's going to clip this and remove the context. <laughs> yeah, he admitted that he's a sexist. <laughs> he was oh, proud of God. it. <laughs> All right. One thing so, though, uh, let's talk about Jericho China. Now, one other thing, one last thing about this match <laughs> that didn't I didn't pick up on it at the time, but since we've been talking about it again, it it's now bothering me. So one of the things about this match was that contrary to a lot of other cage matches, you had the cage door padlocked, and then you had the New Age Outlaws, you know, cut the lock open. I know where you're going with this. Why didn't X Pac go out the door? Better question: Why didn't his buddies actually help him? That's also true because they cut the door open and they toss him a chair and then they leave and they disappear. Like, you could say, maybe, oh, they have a match maybe, later. You know, the outlaws, maybe they're like, hey, we have a match later. We can't, like, risk getting your ass kicked by Kane, but we'll, like, we'll do you a solid here. That, that you know, that maybe makes sense if, like, that was it. Like, they don't want to, like, maybe get their ass kicked by Kane before they have to defend the tag title. But why does X-Pac then choose to climb out over the cage when the door is just wide open and Kane is literally handcuffed to the rope he can't stop you from doing it why didn't he just go out the door obnoxious and dumb david obnoxious and dumb i didn't think about that when i was watching it live but now it's bothering the shit out of me anyway next up intercontinental championship match it is the ninth wonder of the world china defending against chris jericho i is this like the first china this has got to be the first china singles match that we've had Yes. Um, yeah. Is it might be the first or what? It's it's definitely like, if not the first, it's one of the first China matches we've had. Period. Very yes. Um, but yeah, China, who her and Chris Jericho, obviously Jericho is all time great in his prime, but they probably have the best match on the show here. Um, China actually comes out. With the new WWF Women's Champion, Miss Kitty, as her second. And she starts out really hot. She hits a diving clothesline off the apron. Runs wild on Jericho to start the match. Uh, Jericho comes back. Suplexes her onto the announce table. Grabs a chair. takes a Tries to take a swing at her with the chair, but Miss Kitty stops him. Um, China then drop kicks the chair into his face. Uh, pretty big chance for China from the crowd. She was pretty over. Uh, we have the requisite uh, 1999 spot where you have a woman getting forcibly kissed. That was uh, Chris Jericho on Miss Kitty at ringside. China hits a uh, handspring elbow into the corner, hits a DDT. But then we have uh, Jericho gets her tied up in the ropes. And starts going after the right hand. They're selling that apparently she had had uh, surgery on her thumb pretty recently. So you have Jericho attacking that, but then she like doesn't sell it the rest of the match. Jericho takes over, beats her down for a really long time, exposes the turnbuckle in the corner, uh, doesn't use it at the time. Hits the running bulldog out of the corner, goes for the lion salt, but China gets the knees up. She gets a flurry of offense, hits a swinging neckbreaker, hits a power bomb. She then monkey flips him into the turnbuckle that she that he had exposed earlier. Hits a running lariat for her biggest near fall of the match. 
We also get a spot where uh, Jericho tries to do a middle rope suplex, but China kind of like awkwardly turns into him and lands on him for uh, the counter, but he kicks out. End of this match, she goes for a rolling cradle out of the corner, but then Jericho turns it into his finishing hold, the walls of Jericho, and she struggles in it for a little bit, but eventually China taps out. Chris Jericho wins the Intercontinental Belt in 10 minutes and 17 seconds. Afterwards, he cuts a promo backstage where, as Angelo spoiled, he calls Michael Cole Mitchell. And then uh, China comes back, shows him some respect, offers him a handshake, and he shakes his hand. She sh- he-, he shakes China's hand, but is like kind of an asshole about it. And that's the end of the segment. All right, Jake, redeem yourself. What? Oh, um, China is good. There it is. We yeah, have solved all <laughs> the issue of Jake's sexism once again. I, I am. Oh, I hate you. Oh God. This. Anyway, so no, I actually really like this match. I, I loved. I, I talked about this before, uh, specifically with like Tessa Blanchard. But I love whenever they just put a woman in a match against a dude, and they're like, okay, the story isn't. It's not like Shayna Baszler and Reginald and stuff like that. Now it's literally just. Yeah, China is the Intercontinental Champion. Yeah. That's it. And, and That's it. Like, there there are certain women that that really works with, too. Like, uh-huh. Tessa Blanchard was a good pick because she was objectively, woman or man, the single best worker in that company. Right. And China is a good fit because her look is amazing. I mean, she's, she's yeah, huge, and she, she's big, and she's jacked, and she looks like a killer. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And there, there, there are plenty of women right now who you could you could probably say that about. I think Shayna Baszler is one. I mean, she was a legit MMA fighter. Like, I could totally buy her, you know, winning the Intercontinental title. Right. Bianca Belair is, might be up there. And I mean, there's there's definitely some in there. I mean, you know, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, you mentioned Reginald, and that that sh- I I keep wondering why the hell, you know, we constantly have to have this freaking nerd on the TV all the time. Hmm. But yeah, I, I would love to see more stuff like this and less stuff like that for sure. Yeah, and that's, that's like the that's like the least controversial take of all time. But <laughs> there it is. I mean, yeah, you have you have China who's in there. She looks believable in there with a with a great worker, and they have a perfectly fine match. You know, and it's it's honestly the best thing on the show. It so is. There you I, go. I, I agree with that. Part. This was great. Like the only complaint I have is like China looks really gassed around the eight minute mark. But I'm like, that's such a small complaint. For a match that tells a great story, that was a good rivalry, that has a lot of good moments, like pay-per-view moments throughout the entire match. And the fact that the commentary, especially for this time, especially for the King, that the commentary was too self-aware for this period. There is no – they have no right during this time period being as good as commentating this intergender match as everything else on the card. We are literally – less than two hours away from an evening gown pool match. And the commentary for this match is spot on. It's good. It's just there to tell a story between the champion China and Jericho. There's no like chicanery about it. They do allude a few times to like what China has done as a female wrestler, but they're not playing it up as like, Oh, look at Jericho beating up on a woman. It's like, Oh, this is a title match. Yeah. I I do like how they very, they, they really just straight up treat, like China, like yeah, like oh my God, she's a woman. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I mean she's she's the Intercontinental Champion and she's a 
she's every bit as much of a wrestler as Chris Jericho is, and she is a threat to him, and she is a threat to beat him because she's a good wrestler. And then Jericho with the handshake at the end, like China is putting over Jericho at yeah, the end of that absolutely. match. Imagine, I, I, I'm, I don't know, like whose content and character exactly, but like imagine Val Venus in this match and then getting that handshake. How does Val Venus react to that? But like, Dude, it's Jericho. I, I, I think a Val Venus China angle could have been actually really entertaining. <laughs> it's you know? like it's like it's like Val Venus like trying to hit on her, and China's just like, "I would rip you in." <laughs> yeah, and then China like kicks his ass. Like, <laughs> that could actually have been really funny. Yeah. Um, Wait, so it just has me thinking. Like, this would be like giving us Shayna Baszler versus Cesaro, which. You know, would freaking bang, dude. That would be incredible. I would love to see yeah. like him put her in the swing and then she gets him in like the Kira Buddha. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm like I'm I'm picturing that match right now, and I think it would actually actually freaking rock, yeah. But no, this is this is a solid match, and I mean it's especially because you know I'll say this about China, she was really good in this role. I never thought she was a, even so like a great worker. I mean, you know, she wasn't always like really like like fluid with everything that she did and not everything she did looked good, but she was re- she had a great look obviously and she was really good at selling. Mm-hmm. And like her and Jericho are a really good like like Jericho is a great person to kind of get the best out of China. Right, and it's it's a it's a you know it, it just works pretty well you know again this is a match that you know it's ten minutes long you know if you if you put it on a better show it probably wouldn't stand out that much but when you put it next to a bunch of trash which is what we get <laughs> most of the rest of the show it stands out that like yeah this is just a, a pretty good solid wrestling match and you know there's nothing wrong with it so yeah. it you you you, it, you like it a lot more I do want to see WWE like have another similar angle with like what China did, whether that's like Bel Air, if Nia Jax was a slightly better worker or had slightly more charisma, I'd have no problem with her getting thrown in there. Cause like she did appear in the rumble, but like as a character and also in the ring, she's just not, doesn't do it other than the fact that she's literally taller than maybe what do you want to say? Maybe 40% of the men's roster. I mean, she's just, I mean, that's, I mean, Nia Jax is two things. She's really big, and she's the Rock's cousin. That's what that's what she's got, you know. But yeah, she's really gonna say, big. Like I don't like. I'm I, I'm not interested in Nia Jax like as, just as a wrestler. Like I'm just not. No, I mean, I'm in the same boat. But I'm just saying, if there was gonna be someone who could feasibly fit in this role, she's one of the short list that probably could. I mean, I, I think she's in the short list of like who they would realistically choose. That too, because she's you know, much bigger than any other woman they have that like, maybe they would think that she kind of has like, like, like people would buy it more because she's, you know, bigger than a lot of the men on the roster, but also like, yeah, she sucks. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I don't know anyone who really enjoys her work at all. Don't know any Nia Jax marks. No, I don't, I don't know any Nia. where, where you have like other women who would be like a lot, do a lot better. Like we said, like a, you know, a, a Shayna Baszler or someone like an Asuka or a Rhea Ripley or somebody that like actually would work a lot better and are good wrestlers that are interesting. And Rhea totally could do that. You know? Yeah. I think there's a lot better choices. So yeah. Uh, China 
puts over this young, fresh-faced kid named Chris Jericho. I think that guy's going somewhere. Next up, another, another title match. It is the tag titles on the line. It is the Rock and Sock Connection. To me, one of the iconic tag teams of the Attitude Era, the Rock and Mankind, challenging the New Age Outlaws, the Road Dog and badass Billy Gunn. And this is actually the point where Billy Gunn is exclusively referred to as Mr. Ass. That is his entire ring name. He is just Mr. Ass. Uh, Mankind gets a big pop when he comes out. Uh, A pop that is then immediately dwarfed by the reaction that The Rock gets because he's (laughs) the fucking Rock and he's so over that it's crazy. The crowd is going insane for Rocky. And, you know, the the New Age Outlaws are always really over. The crowd loves doing their shtick. Uh, But they are chanting for Rocky so much that they don't even do the thing. He doesn't even do the, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. He doesn't even do it. (laughs) Which I think is the right decision. The crowd is all chanting Rocky too loud for him to do that. Um, Mankind starts the match... With uh, Road Dog, the instant uh, Mankind teases tagging The Rock in, the crowd starts going crazy for The Rock. And then The Rock gets in there with uh, Billy Gunn. Uh, he jumps Billy Gunn as Billy Gunn is taking his shirt off in the ring. Um, him and Billy Gunn brawl into the crowd. Rock hit tosses him over the barricade back ringside. But then they're able to uh, get ahead on the rock and beat him down for a while. The rock sells throughout really the, it gets beaten down throughout like most of the middle part of this match. Uh, Billy Gunn hits a, like an RKO, like a jumping cutter in this match that JR calls a quote modified neck breaker maneuver. Yeah. So they, they double team him. Rockets a little bit of offense, but they always cut him off immediately in a very long chin lock spot from Billy Gunn on the rock rock. Finally tags Mankind, and it's kind of a a shitty hot tag. We then get a ref bump. Mankind hits a pile driver on the road dog, but the referee is dead, and he can't count the pin. Uh, Rock and Mankind just really start running wild and beating the shit out of the New Age Outlaws all over the ring. Mr. Socko makes an appearance. Mankind puts Road Dog in the mandible claw. And then Al Snow, who had been feuding with Mankind at the time, runs in with the head, and he attacks Mankind. He knocks Mankind out with the head. The referee finally comes to and sees that the road dog is covering Mankind, and he tries to count the pin, but the rock pulls the ref out of the ring. He then sprints up the ramp at Al Snow and starts beating the hell out of Al Snow. Now this isn't the this is the first time I'm going to mention it. The stage for Armageddon was like like apocalyptic battle themed, which makes sense because it's Armageddon. But you had like like tanks and like army jeeps and like helicopters and shit just all around, which is going to play a lot in like that, that's going to get involved a lot in our main event. But this is the first time you really see that like the rock like slams Al Snow into a helicopter, which is just awesome that like people are using helicopters as weapons in WWF. <laughs> um, back in the ring, the New Age Outlaws smash Mankind with the ring bell, but he ends up kicking out of that. Billy then hits a pile driver on Mankind, but he kicks out of that also. 
Finally, The Rock comes back in. He gets the hot tag, hits a spine buster on Road Dog, hits The Rock bottom on Billy Gunn. He goes for the pin. He's about to win the tag titles. But then Al Snow comes back, slides into the ring, attacks him right in front of the referee, gets the disqualification. The Rock and Sock connection win the match, but not the belts in 16 minutes and 28 seconds. They continue to brawl afterward. Rock hits a rock bottom on the Road Dog, and then hits Al Snow with the road uh, with with the uh, rock bottom, and then hits the People's Elbow on him, and the crowd goes crazy. Uh, good match, I guess. Yeah, it's okay. Fine, it's a- fine match that had a bad overbooked finish. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's got the rock in it, like yeah. It was weird seeing the Rock interact with Al Snow. I felt like that was a fever dream. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a little bit. Well, let me tell you about the whole Rock Billy Gunn feud that we had <laughs> in 1990. This is the feud that gave us the uh, the famous uh, B- uh, Bob. But my name's Billy. Billy. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, I I forgot about that. The promo that instantly destroyed Billy Gunn's push and any credibility he would ever have as a singles guy for the rest of his career. (laughs) He said, but my name's Billy. (laughs) Mankind's giving off some big dad energy with... uh... the. It looks like he's wearing like Air Monarchs and he's got sweatpants and the button-up shirt. That's what I'm talking about. If I'm going to get my but that's a good kicked, look. I want to be comfy. I'm wearing Air Monarchs and I'm wearing sweats. But it works for mankind. There's also a line that uh, the king says saying that authors who talk about their own book is worse than a mother who talks about her own children. Just, <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand what point he was making. Neither did I. Like, if you're a parent, of course you're going to talk about your kids. Like, no crap. Uh... Al Snow running in, just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit overbooked. I was kind of, like, just entertained by the fact that there was an Al Snow and The Rock, like, matchup that was going on. There was interaction there. Well, dude, Uh, let me tell you about The Rock versus The Hurricane feud. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That actually happened. Yes, that actually happened. And guess what? It was really good. Also, they cut something at the end here, like, in between this and, like, the Big Show match. There is something cut here from Peacock, and I miss the network so much, man. Yeah, please come back. I think to the network. there's a lot of like there's there's some like kind of weird transitions on Peacock, and I think that's mostly because it's like it's places where they're inserting ads into like something that didn't originally have ads. So there's like kind of these weird transitions, and like I don't re- like I watch it with an ad blocker, so I don't see the ads. <laughs> but, like, you still get these weird little, like, it fades out for a second, and then it comes back. But that's know? the same thing I get, and I'm paying, like, I, I pay for the service. And, but it's stupid, too. Like, I'll watch something on Hulu. Yeah, they, like, there's that break, but it's still a seamless from the scene to scene. There's not that fade yeah, to black. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about, yeah. We're not Alistair Black out in here. Is it, it's not fading to black. It's just a continuation. Great, great, ref, uh, great reference there, Angelo. Yeah, sure. I guess he's yeah, Tommy it's, it's now, annoying. It's, it's, a, it's annoying as shit. I, I, I really like. I do appreciate that. I'll, I'll say this in defense of Peacock. They have actually put all the old stuff up there way faster than I thought, because they basically they like said SummerSlam as like when they're going to have everything up, and like. 
really by like a month ago, they basically had everything that we could like we would watch, you know? Yeah. So like like maybe some of the really obscure shit that's on the like maybe they don't have Smoky Mountain Wrestling up on uh, Peacock yet. But like, you know, probably there's, there's like eight people who are gonna watch that. Um Jim Cornette. One of them. Jim Cornette fraud. But you know, like I, I, I will say that they did did this way faster, but I still prefer the experience of watching on the WWE Network. R.I.P. to my boy. Wow. Rest in peace. Speaking so, of rest in peace. Yes. Rest in peace to the Big Show's father, apparently. Uh, next up, it is the WWF title on the line. It is the champion, the Big Show, taking on the Big Boss Man. And this is the feud where... Infamously, as I mentioned earlier, the boss man stole Big Show's dad's casket. They have this long video package for this. I can't even describe how insane <laughs> it is. I, I just, like, really, if you have Peacock, go watch the free match video package. It is like, it, it's like, like the kind of like eldritch horror that is described in like an HP Lovecraft novel where it's like, you're risking your sanity by watching it. It's, it's the most like absolutely batshit. One of the most batshit storylines WWE has ever come up with. And it's great. I love it. It's, just, <laughs> it's really hilarious. So, uh, boss man is the hardcore champ at the time challenging for the WWF world championship. He comes out with a very, a very wet-looking Prince Albert as uh, his second. Bossman uh, cuts his, his promo where he's like imitating Big Show, and he's like, "Whoa, where's my daddy? Where's my <laughs> Who's daddy? my daddy? Who's my daddy?" And he's like, "You know what? Maybe I'm his daddy." <laughs> he's a, some very Samoa Joe. I'll be your new daddy, except not nearly as cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, show comes out, show is wrestling, this is your world champion, and he's wrestling, again, I, far be it for me to criticize someone being comfy, because I have been on this very episode being very much have fun dying pro, on your pro comfy. I don't think it's a great look that your WWF, that, that your world champion is wrestling in a tank top and gym shorts, <laughs> is what he was wearing. It's not a great look for show. Um, this is, again, world title, it's barely a match. Uh, he takes out Albert early on, chokeslams Albert through the Spanish announce table, turns around, boss man takes his head off with the steel steps. Show is selling like he gets knocked out. This match lasts three minutes, and a good, good, good bit of it is big boss man trying to get big show's lifeless body back into the ring. Eventually, he does. Show kicks out and kind of does like a you know a sudden comeback. He does a kip up where he's like holding onto the middle rope to do it, so like it doesn't count. But like the the, the announcers are like, "Oh my god, a five hundred pound man just kipped up!" When he's like literally holding onto the rope when he does it. Um, he then takes Boss Man out with a thrust kick and hits a choke slam and gets the pin and retains the title. Big Show wins and avenges his father in three minutes and 11 seconds. Wait, hold on, David. Can you repeat what you just said? To just that last line. 
that the Big Show wins and avenges his father in three minutes and eleven seconds. Avenges his father. Yes. In three minutes and eleven seconds. Yes. That's what storyline payoff, know, baby. I know. That's doing like... this unbelievable, unbelievably <laughs> elaborate, insane storyline, and then the match is three minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> there was the big boss man broke into his father's funeral and stole the casket. Three minutes, baby, get your shit and get out. And a, and a minute and a half of that was boss man trying to get him it back into the ring. Like there was no wrestling at all in this match. There was like like two things happened, and that was it. The most, awesome. the most entertaining thing about this match was Prince Albert's black singlet. Black leather singlet. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. Stop. <laughs> I, like, I, I'm thinking, I don't know, I'm thinking of, like, a TV show where it's, like, the, like, the, the father is killed and they set off on a two-hour epic quest to avenge it. It's like, nah, y'all got three minutes. That, that, that is literally... Uh, Game of Thrones spending six seasons uh, dealing, like, building up the White Walkers, and then Arya just shanks one, and then they all die at the same time. That's what this is. Curse you, J.J. Abrams. It's not Abram. Whoever the J. heck... J.J. Abrams was who directed not involved. The, who, who directed the final Star Wars movie? It's, it's, it was those nerds. Oh, okay, yeah. It was J.J. Abrams, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that you... I thought, I thought we were talking about Game of Thrones. Well, no, that, like, whoever... Whoever was doing Game of Thrones, based on things I've read, they wanted to hurry up and wrap it up so they could go work on the Star Wars movie. No, yeah, yeah, that, that's literally what it was. It was the two guys who were doing uh, Game of Thrones. So, I mean, supposedly this was what they wanted, but they had a deal to do like a Star Wars movie or like a couple Star Wars movies. So they were like, "I want to get done with this shit, and we could do Star Wars." And then, like, it sucked so much that they ended up losing the Star Wars movies that Good. they were going to do. Because they and ruined it. now they're it. not happening anymore. <laughs> and also, like, the Rise of Skywalker sucked so much that no one wants to see Star Wars movies anymore anyway. So. And, you know, we need to save up all this time for, you know, such a classic main event match that really does need the full, you know, 30-ish minutes that's going to go. Yeah, we need a full... 45 minutes for everything surrounding this main event. So something's got to get cut. And listen, you know, I, I I know that loyal listeners to the show know that I have shit on the big show and his matches many times. If anything's going to get cut, you could probably do worse than cutting into a big show match. I'm just going to be honest with you. Just going to be honest with you. So it is finally Main event time. Triple H, Vince McMahon. No holds barred. If Triple H wins, this is the stipulation. If Triple H wins, he gets a shot at the WWF title. If Vince McMahon wins, Triple H's marriage to his daughter Stephanie gets annulled. It is classic just McMahon family drama. And a note here, for one of the reasons maybe why this match is so plotting, outside of the fact that Vince McMahon is a 53-year-old non-wrestler in a half-hour-long main event, uh, apparently when they were walking through things before the show, Triple H like actually like hyper-extended his knee really badly and like barely got his way through this match. So he was not nearly at 100%. Um, so you have a guy who's not at 100%, 
and you have a guy who's 53 years old and is not a wrestler. And these guys get a half hour. So buckle in. This shit takes forever. <laughs> um, Stephanie walks out first and she takes a seat at ringside. Of course, you know, Stephanie McMahon, Triple H's uh, kayfabe wife, later real life wife. Um, but they had done the story like like Triple H, like kind of forcibly married her in kayfabe and she wants out allegedly she is triple h's husband or triple h she's triple h's wife but she is during the match visibly rooting for her dad to win uh triple h comes out first to his classic my time theme song one of my favorites he's got the uh, sledgehammer with him vince mcmahon comes out wearing a black long sleeve crew neck like sweatshirt, uh, black pants, and MMA gloves. And he comes out, he throws powder in Triple H's eyes to start out, starts throwing just the shittiest looking punches ever. And here we go. Uh, this match is a really long, slow brawl where these guys fight basically all over everywhere and hit each other with a bunch of weapons. A couple semi-interesting things happen, but it's basically a half hour straight of these two guys slowly punching each other and hitting each other with weapons. There's a lot of like road signs and garbage cans and some chairs and some stuff, but that's, that's basically what this match is for a half hour. So they brawl over ringside. They brawl all over backstage. There are certain points where it's really dark and you can't see shit at all. But as I always say, when you're doing a no holds barred match or a falls count anywhere match, I want people to explore the space and they do. I appreciate the, that they explore the space here at the national car rental center. I did like that part. Uh, at one point, Mick Foley comes out wheeling a shopping cart full of weapons, new Jack style. And all these weapons get called into play trash can metal crutch, a road sign, just a bunch of shit. Um, talked about the military equipment that's on the stage, kind of lining the ring way. Um, a lot of that, a lot of that gets used. Triple H throws Vince into everything. He throws Vince into the helicopter, into the army jeep. He hits him in the head with a machine gun turret. Uh, Vince whips him into a plane at one point. They just, I mean, I don't know what their budget was for this, for the set, but it was, I mean, it was legitimately really freaking cool. Um, so they eventually go backstage and Triple H just kind of disappears. And Vince is like wandering around looking for him. It's, it's a, it's an old man wandering around looking for his son-in-law. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you see a car rev up and, you know, like, if Triple H tries to run over Vince with a car, Vince, like, dodges it. But, like, Triple H was driving that thing at some speed. Like, he was probably going, like, 25, 30 miles an hour in this parking lot. Like, if Vince had fucked up, he would have died. Um, but Vince, like, barely gets out of the way. They continue to brawl through the parking lots. Uh, Triple H body slams him on top of a limo at one point. They go back towards the arena floor for no apparent reason... They both climb up this tower on the stage. 
Triple H knocks him off the thing, and Vince falls maybe 15 feet into a crash pad. Doesn't get any reaction, really, uh, because it's. I think it's pretty obvious that it's a crash pad. There's no, like, really, like, you know, there's nothing about the spot that really is exciting outside of he falls for a little bit. And it's very obvious afterward that he literally just fell onto a big bed, basically. Um, Vince, though, comes out of that bloodied... Uh, Triple H walks over, grabs a microphone. I mean, Vince is a bloody mess at this point. He grabs a mic, he goes over to Stephanie, and he says, Hey, baby, tell me how it feels watching your daddy get her ass kicked. And Steph is like, I hate you! And he's like, you know what? I'm your new daddy now. This is like the second time you have someone <laughs> call someone that, Hey, I'm your new daddy. Uh, Samoa Joe stealing, stealing gimmicks. Um, he drags Vince over to Steph. He gets the sledgehammer out. Steph is like shrieking at this point. <laughs> um, Steph does some. Steph's. What do you guys think about Steph's acting in this? <laughs> um, I'm thinking. Uh, oh, oh my gosh, uh, Kristen Stewart in Twilight. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a good. I think that's. I think that's a good. Uh, a good comparison. Yeah. Like. Like, such a stick in the mud that whenever she eventually tries to show emotion, like, you just laugh. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not my favorite. Well, hold on. Um, which, which I hate you is better, this one or Anakin to Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith? <laughs> Listen, I, I am not... This is a pro-Hayden Christensen podcast here, buddy. <laughs> This is a pro-Hayden podcast. I'm not taking any shit on this. You need to fire me, then. So... But yeah, Steph is like shrieking at ringside. Triple H is like standing over him, about to hit him with the uh, with the sledgehammer. But Vince, at the last second, low blows him, gets a lead pipe. He wails on Triple H with the lead pipe. Uh, Vince grabs the sledgehammer. He's about to hit Triple H with the sledgehammer. But Steph jumps the barricade, gets into the ring, stops him from hitting Triple H. And she's like, no, I want to do it. Give it to me. I want to hit him with the sledgehammer. So Vince gives it to his daughter. She then, like, is about to do it and stops for some reason. Doesn't do it. That allows Triple H to grab the hammer from her. He hits Vince with it. Actually, it kind of looks like it's, like, set up like it kind of looks like, oh, he's going to hit Stephanie with but Like, Vince kind of jumps in the way type of deal. Very weird that Vince is, like... Vince McMahon, who was like the biggest heel in the company, is actually working babyface. Yeah. Time, oh my god. Very, very disturbing. Really, really weird. This match. But like he like jumps on the like he takes like heroically takes the shot for his daughter to save her life, and uh, Triple H afterwards gets the pin to win the match in twenty nine minutes and forty five seconds. That felt like twice as long. Afterwards. Steph is like crying over the dead body of her of her late father. Triple H picks up the hammer and is teasing hitting Steph with it. Then she turns around and then all of a sudden she smiles. And surprise, surprise, they hug. She was on his side all along. And she raises his hand and to finish the show, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon smooching in the ring. And that's the end of Armageddon 99. Jake, Do you, you think they first? had a live sex celebration? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that was off the air. Maybe they had a, like a dark sex celebration. 
Now, did they ever do, like, a wedding angle between Triple H and Stephanie after this that was real? Or do they just, you know... No. I mean, okay. they, they were already married in kayfabe, like... Like, I think it was, like, what, like, didn't, like, Triple H marry her in Vegas while she was asleep? Yeah, or she was, like, that passed was... out. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, I, I had checked, like, timelines, like, how things lined up. They didn't get married until 2003. So, in canon, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon got wed in Vegas in a drive through like, drive through marriage place with her passed out. And that's canon. In, like, 1999. In 1999. But then, like, but, like, so they were married in, in, like, WWE canon. And then, like, I think, like, afterwards is when they actually started dating. And then they actually got married in real life in, like, 2003, 2004. I think Trips was still with China at this point, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and supposedly, at least, like, according to China, like, Triple H cheated on her with Stephanie. Yeah. And then, like, Triple H says that, actually, no, we broke up first. I didn't cheat on China. I don't know. I mean, that's a he said, he said, she said type of deal. But, like... Like he didn't, he didn't start. I don't think they started dating until after they already started doing this romance angle, which is hysterical to me. Um, I will say this: looking at Vince's work punches, um, it's a miracle that Shane's look as good as they do, and it's a miracle that both of them can actually sell a little bit compared to Vince. This is not genetic jackhammer, that Vince. This is not extreme heel, Vince. This is baby face, Vince. This is awful. This is cursed. Vince McMahon has already established himself as a villain in Canton. Now, in wrestling, obviously, you have people go back and forth. But I don't think there's any way to create a believable babyface out of Vincent Candy McMahon. He is the ultimate heel. He is the heel. He literally had a whole angle where his wife was – he was cheating on his wife with one of his employees – while his wife was, like, unconscious in front of him. He can't be a face. You can't do that. I'll say this. He's not afraid to play the fool, which is, you know, something that I will commend him for. But you should never, ever be the face if you're Vincent Candy McMahon. It just doesn't work. It doesn't click. Now, this is... We talk about things on the show that were cursed. This is a cursed Vince. It is because, like... You know, like, the ideal version of Vince, if, if it's going to be a wrestling Vince, is either, like, like around this time, sort of chicken shit heel Vince, like the guy who accidentally won the Royal Rumble Vince, yeah. or later on, like, you know, when he when he fully revealed his just freakish anabolic physique <laughs> and became genetic jackhammer Vince, those are the two <laughs> good... Jackhammer. Those are the two good Vinces. But not this, like... Oh yeah, he's wearing a baggy crew neck and he's a baby face getting his ass kicked. Then. He's like, fighting for his daughter. There's nothing going on here. There's just nothing going on here. There's nothing for anybody. And the match no. itself, I described it as, this is a SmackDown versus Raw match uh, with two people who have never played before who don't <laughs> know how to grapple with no DQ. That's what yeah. this was. That's pretty, that's pretty good, yeah. But I mean, even then, like you had to know how to use like the props and stuff. Like You had to throw them into it properly. But you can you can you can pick up the weapon by pressing one of the buttons. Like That's this is true. they don't know how to use the analog stick or either of the triggers. They just know how to smash like A B uh, and depending like depending on your system A B X Y or uh, a, uh, X circle square triangle. That's yeah. all they know it, how to hit. And move the left is. analog stick. That's what this is. It's two seven year olds button mashing, and they don't like. And that's why it takes you know a half hour. <laughs> Because both these guys like their like their stamina their stamina bars are 
dead. Like their like their health and stamina bars are there's nothing. Like there's nothing there because they've been doing this for a half hour. But they don't know how to get the other guy back into the ring, and they don't know how to pin. You also don't know how to do a finisher. Going. Yeah, you you don't know how to charge your finisher. You don't know how to do any of this shit. You're just hitting the A button over and over again. That's what this match is, and it sucks. <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> I can I can genuinely tell you that I hated every moment of it. I did kind of enjoy Triple H almost running over, running him over with the car, but that was it. I hated every moment of this. Match. Even at the end, too, like with Stephanie. At first, I wrote, "What the hell? Like, what reason does Stephanie not have to hit him?" And then ultimately, you do get that swerve. But then, why are you pretending like you're gonna hit her in the first place? Like the first time makes sense because you're trying to win the match, but like after the match is over, why the hell? Like, it, it, like, what kayfabe reason do you have to be doing that? To work the fans? Is that it? Yeah. It's stupid. You're working the fans. You're working the fans. You know, maybe, maybe you know, he never pulled a prank on your wife before, Angelo? You never you never pulled a prank on your wife before? Never. Yeah. Not in my life. Come on. You never, never pretended that you were going to, uh, you know, murder your wife before? <laughs> like, oh, no, honey, I didn't actually mean it. I wasn't actually going to do that. I'd never even consider it. David, no. what do you and Molly do? <laughs> uh, let's not get into that right now. Uh, let's save that one for another podcast. But yeah, no. It, again, this I'll is go like, to the Patreon. It's your classic McMahon family drama match that takes way too long and doesn't make any sense. Because when you really think about it, none of this shit, really, really none of the stuff that the McMahons did made any sense. The only the only storyline that like Vince McMahon was involved in that made sense was the storyline with Austin, which is why it was so good because it was very like kind of clear like good guy that the fans love who's a badass versus the bad guy who's screwing him over, and that's kind of it, you know. Yeah. Like at, at the at its core, that's what it was. But then when you got into the real like. You know, now we have all the different family members involved. We have Linda, she's doing stuff, and Steph is here, and Shane is here. None of it ever made any goddamn sense. It's McMasturbation. Listen. None of it made any sense. Listen, I, okay, sure, it never made sense, but I'll never forget the pop from whenever Shane returned, whenever Vince was cheating on uh, Linda, because that shit was awesome. He was, like, making out with, uh, who was he cheating with? Um, It was Trish Stratus, wasn't it? Trish Stratus. Yeah, he was, like, cheating with Trish, like, in the middle of the ring. And, like, all of a sudden, the Here Comes the Money hit, and it was like, oh, it's going to go down. Yeah, that was pretty great. I, I so will never, admit. Like, it never made any sense, but, damn, that was cool. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> Man, I, yeah, I, I wish we had something interesting like that on this show, but we didn't. Nope. Uh, but, yeah, that's it. Triple H, uh, still married to Stephanie McMahon to this day. Um, you know, hey, it's a good thing he won this match because they've got what I think three kids. Yep. And <laughs> if if Vince had won this match, none of those children would be alive today. <laughs> none of those children would be alive. So saving lives here. So that will uh, bring us to our two and a half marks. Angelo, you want to start us off? Sure thing. Real quick, uh, honorable mention: we had our six hundredth wrestler appear on the podcast in this episode. Was now, it Pete Gas? Was it my man Pete Gas? You're close. It was Rodney. Oh, ah! you gotta give it to Pete Gas. Come on, man. Rodney, number six hundred. Uh, 
Ironically, we've had a tag team now for 500, too, because 500 was uh, Jimmy or Jay. I forget which one. Uh, but anyway, honorable mention for Rodney, number 600 on our list. Uh, negative half mark going to face Vince for all the reasons we have mentioned. It's just not believable. It's not, it's not even corny in a good way. It's just old man wants to be popular, and he's not. And it's kind of more sad than anything else. So negative half mark to fake, uh, face Vince. One mark, going to Kane's flying clothesline from the top of the cage. Just a really cool-looking spot. I thought they shot it really well. That image of Kane standing on the corner of the cage and then jumping down onto X-Pac. Just an amazing sight. Uh, so I'm giving that of the full mark. And my two marks, it's going to Jericho China. Again, horrible pay-per-view. There's not a lot good. But the one match that was super interesting, that told a great story, that was easily the best match on the card was Jericho and China. It was fantastic start to finish. There's not really much complaining I have about it. So that'll get my two marks. Okay. Jacob. All right. So I'm giving two, or sorry. Wow. <clears throat> Let me restart that. So I am giving uh, a positive half mark to nunchuck related violence <laughs> because I Hell don't think yeah. there's enough of it in wrestling. And I know David's a Kung Fu movie guy. So he'll appreciate nunchucks uh, in, in, the, in all of their beauty. Uh, I, you know, I, I love unique weapons. I think I talked about like road signs being used last week. So any time that there is um, a unique weapon like that, I really, really like it. Um, I'm giving another positive mark somehow. I have two positive marks here. Um, to the opening credits, or the opening uh, uh, like video package, because I thought it was awesome did you guys watch it yeah yeah it's like it's like angelic music over like you took his daughter and now he's coming for you <laughs> just got Dude, absolutely you see I, I was off put by it because like you have all this military imagery but then you also have the <laughs> religious imagery i'm just like this is off-putting <laughs> i know no, that was a regular thing though for armageddon like the, especially the early armageddon pay-per-views was like in the opening videos they would lean really heavy into like the religious iconography of it <laughs> like i think it was like which one did we watch i think we watched like armageddon 2001 maybe and it was like or one of those and it was like they had like biblical verses in the fucking yeah. like, the, and it was like, yeah, man, we're going for it today. This is awesome. <laughs> so I, I liked it. I, th I thought it was like, like if, if I had been watching this in 1999, I would have thought that, that was the coolest shit ever. So, uh, and my negative two marks are going to giving pool related matches a bad name. Um, it's not the women's fault. They were put into that position by powers higher than them. It's not their fault. Uh, so this is on Vince or whoever booked it. But all right, here's your here's your your quiz. Since I've gotten back into wrestling, there have been two high profile pool related matches. What are the two matches? One of them's easy. One of them is uh, would you consider uh, Orange Cassidy versus Jericho being a pool match? Yeah, the uh, Orange uh, yeah, uh, the Mimosa Mayhem match. Yes, absolutely pool related match. I thought it was fun. D David, what's the other one? Okay, what is the other one? Pool-related match? It features a man who has since been canceled a thousand times. So it involves oh. Matt Morgan. No. Oh. More recent. Is this a Joey Ryan-related match, perhaps? Nope. No? Okay. Who else has been canceled? Velveteen Dream. Oh, with EC3? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, 
I damn it, I thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I like they had the whole thing where like one of them got pushed into the pool, so then they had like a fight to see who would get pushed into the pool or something. Yeah, like, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah, and like sure, it had Velveteen in it, so whatever. But you know, pool related matches are usually fun. This I, one was not. And I remember, I remember the promos for the Velveteen EC3 match were actually great. It was, it was literally <laughs> like one of them was like a ten minute video package of them just walking next to the pool and talking about like EC3 would be like Velveteen, do you want money? And he's like, I want to be known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just love that. I remember those, those promos were great. Yeah. Right. So, so negative two to giving pool matches a bad name. All right, so I'm going to give my half marks to uh, themed sets for pay-per-views because there was always a different set for a pay-per-view. Now, now they all look the same. I, I don't remember exactly when they stopped doing this, but there used to be, you know, you'd have these like No Way Out or, or Backlash. They would all have a motif. You know, with Armageddon, they have all the military equipment around everywhere. With uh, Backlash, for some reason, they'd have the giant swinging hooks on the stage. But, like, it was always different. And it always added a little bit of character and made you, you know, made no mistake that you were watching a pay-per-view. And you were watching this specific pay-per-view rather than just an episode of Raw, which happens to be on a Sunday. David, sets cost money. The WWE's, you know, they, they, they need to save their money. They're not making that much. They finally brought back Pyro. I don't understand why they can't bring back a cool set. Hey, listen, they do. They give us holographics. Yeah, I... Okay, this... Do people <laughs> li- okay, I, I'm, ask, I'm generally asking you a question. Do you guys like the holographics? No. Not at I, all. I don't. I don't know if other people do like them, but I think it looks hokey. My, my like least it. favorite is, is the big dog head nation. <laughs> 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 it literally, it literally looks like Houndoom. Like, yeah, it's, it does. It looks like Houndoom exactly. Yeah. I'm no, yeah. Like I, I have always kind of like it's not something that I feel strongly enough about it that I like think about it all the time. But like I've always been like had had like a negative feeling towards it, and yeah. I don't know if that like if it was just me or. I'm glad to know that other people don't like it as well. I think it's stupid. Uh, negative one, I just said slow brawls that take a half hour. <laughs> that was. I was falling asleep, man. I, I, I was like, I can't believe I took a break from playing Bioshock Infinite for this shit. Come on. Terrible. Um, and I'm going to give my two marks to a legend who have not talked about enough on this program. May Young. Rest in peace to May Young who appeared very frequently, relatively frequently, on WWF programming during this time for the Attitude Era, was always super entertaining whenever she was on screen. Gave us a ton of memorable moments, including uh, giving birth to Mark Henry's hand baby (laughs) and uh, getting the shit powerbombed out of her by Bubba Ray Dudley. Um, like through the table, one of the greatest bumps ever, and like this, like the story makes it better because like May Young like told Bubba Ray Dudley like you better not like take it easy on me because I'm an 80 year old woman like power bomb the shit out of me through the table, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he did, and she was like yeah it was great. So, rest in peace to May Young, 
uh, always, always a good time when Mae Young appears on a, on a show that you're watching. Jake, I do remember some pool hijinks related to the Jericho Cruise event, I think involving the Young Bucks, where they throw oh, okay. MJF in the pool. So that, so again, another positive one. And also, uh, what's it? Uh, the first stadium stampede also had a pool spot with uh, yes. Santana Ortiz and they threw they threw Matt Hardy into the pool yes. and then it, it was uh, you know Lake of Reincarnation rules. Oh wait, but I'm thinking of Charlie Strong being in Stadium Stampede. Sorry, we're going down a rabbit hole. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, so that will finish up our coverage of WWF Armageddon uh, 1999, and so that will bring us to our last order of business. I'm going to spin the randomizer. And we're going to see what we're going to watch next week on the show. Boys, what do you want to see? Early 90s WCW. You can stop asking me. I'm going to keep asking for a pandemic pay-per-view until we get a pandemic pay-per-view. Buddy, you got to stop. Number one, I don't understand why. What, what is your obsession with seeing the pandemic pay-per-views? I, I, I just want I to see how they've aged. Get it. Well, it's, a, it's a year they later. Haven't, they haven't aged. That's the whole thing. Like, okay, it was five months ago. That's that, <laughs> a year ago. They haven't had time to age. You know, like, oh, like, well, I want to see how uh, how Hell in a Cell 2020 age. Guess what? It hasn't. It hasn't. It's well, the same so shit the that we watch every week. The, the heart wants shit. what the heart wants, David. No, nevertheless, <laughs> we're not going to do the thing that Angelo wants, and he can go screw himself. We're going back. <laughs> to mid-2000s WWE, uh, we are going to watch WWE Backlash 2007. Uh, I believe a Rocks, or actually, no, it was a tri-branded pay-per-view. This is after they, uh, like, very, I think this was, like, very shortly after they went back to Wait, hold on, uh, this wasn't all-branded all pay-per-views. What? This wasn't, like, Benoit's, was it? Like Benoit actually appears on this show. Okay. Uh, no, is, yeah, this is, this is I, I think that was Vengeance? Was the one that he no showed? Possibly. Can we can yes, we call it, was, it a no show? Like, is that uh, the right? I mean, he what? technically no showed. Engines two thousand seven. Okay, okay. So that would have been about three months later. Uh, this is Backlash two thousand seven, from April of 07. Uh, main event: Fatal Four Way for the WWE title. John Cena, Randy Orton, Edge, and Shawn Michaels. Ooh, I remember the build up for this match. We've got Undertaker, Batista in a last man standing match for the World Heavyweight title. Uh, we've got a Vince McMahon. <laughs> this is the night where Vince McMahon won the ECW title. Oh, my God. Um, in the ultimate just burial and spit into the face of the uh, the legacy of ECW right there. Uh, but, yeah, WWE Backlash 2007, I believe we are, are going to have a few first-time appears as well on uh, the Two and a Half Marks podcast, if I'm correct here. So that'll be our show next week, WWE Backlash 2007. So for my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Man.